Good to see you out tonight and hope you enjoyed hearing from Patty. Maybe some of you have not met her before. She'll be right down here afterwards. Come greet her and chat with her and uh, hear about Ireland from her personally. What a way to understand where the gospel is at work around the world. Um, Never look at your maps without thinking about the gospel. Learn to do that. Learn to look at globes and maps and think about the gospel. Is the gospel there? Who's preaching it? What's happening there? Um, Good way to give yourself a a great desire for missions. Father, thank you for that time with Patty, Lord. We pray you would continue to provide for her and you would continue to give her strength, Lord. May Jesus be everything to her and may the word of God just strengthen her daily, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would strengthen her on this furlough, give her sweet rest and ready to return. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and particularly, Lord, we want to look at the law and the gospel and just understand uh, that as a Christian of the new covenant, and I pray this would be encouraging just for our last few minutes together. In Jesus' name, amen. I started in on Deuteronomy chapter 4 last uh, Wednesday, and uh, it's a sermon that Moses preaches that starts in four and runs through six and before I get into five next time I'll get into five but I thought I'd take a little interlude uh, in, uh, just to kind of talk about the gospel and the law how, how does that how does that affect us as Christians as new covenant new testament Christians how do we handle the law you remember Sunday when I was walking through that second missionary journey of Paul's and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and so forth, um, as they were still in Antioch and in um, Jerusalem, remember they made that statement in, in Acts chapter 15 verse 10, and they said, why, why do we put this burden on these people when, when the, our fathers and us could not keep it? And so when we come to the law, we begin to understand what is its role, how, how it, what, what is it? What was the purpose of the law? What's it supposed to be doing? And what's the result of it? And that's what we really want to look at tonight briefly um, just to get our hearts ready because when we get into chapter 5, he's going to go back through the Ten Commandments. And we want to make sure we understand those in a right way how we use the law today. So um, just a couple of thoughts tonight. Number one, the law was given to show mankind that they are sinners. They are sinners, and Deuteronomy 4 certainly showed that, but I want to start in Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3, and that'll just be a jumping-off verse, and we'll talk about this in its light of um, us as New Testament Christians. So Deuteronomy 4 showed that they were sinners, right? And even even that new generation, he he went back and said, you remember what happened um, there with with the Moabites and and Balaam and all of that and things that happened there. He reminded them that it wasn't just their own fathers that died in the wilderness. They themselves struggled with sin. And so as we come to the law, we start to think about its role now in our own lives. If you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, and and again, lots here, but let me just move through this very quickly. Notice it says, now we know. Now anytime I see that in the Bible, I circle that stuff. We know. Well, what do I know? It's telling me we know something. As Christians, we should know something. So the Bible's very clear here that there's something that, that we know and we need to apply it to our lives. So we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So there's a distinction there. Somebody's under the law and somebody's not under the law. Right? So now we know there's two groups of people that this is speaking to. And here's the reason why that they're all under the law so that every mouth may be closed. They'll have no argument with God. This is one of the purposes of the law. The law was given to show mankind that they're sinners. Their mouths will be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. 
Now that's what the law does. Put yourself up against the law and you go, I'm in trouble. Right? I cannot keep it. I fail in those areas. Now, notice verse 20. Because by the works, and the reason why they're accountable, they're under the law, because by the works of the law, and this is very important here, look at this, you should mark this in your Bible, no flesh will be justified. That word means to be declared righteous. There's no way by your works could you ever stand before God righteous. Paul's making that extremely clear here. So people have said, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I keep this and I do this and I don't eat that and I, and I, and I walk here and I, and I don't go with these people or so forth, right? He said, no, 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 no flesh will be justified in his sight. For, look at this, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So this holy law of God in the Ten Commandments is, is really the representation of the law, right? When we study the Ten Commandments, it represents the law of God. It's a concise teaching of God's principles to man and how he is to come to them. So when we study that holy law, those Ten Commandments, there's a standard of right living there for the nation of Israel before God. And as they compared their lives to this standard, Right there in the wilderness in Exodus 20 and then later now in Deuteronomy 5, as they compared themselves to that standard, they realized that they fell short of the glory of God. And anytime you get up against the law of God, you'll go, oh, I fall short. And that's, that's the goal. And, and when you fall short of that, in the Old Testament sense, and we've been through Leviticus now and Numbers and so forth, when you fall short of that law, you know you need mercy and forgiveness. And in order to get mercy, you need a sin offering, so you needed a lamb. Right? This is the Old Testament, right? So you come up against the law. The law said, don't covet. Ooh, I kept all those other ones, but that's something in my heart. I've sinned. Now I need an offering. I need a sin offering. I need to bring an unblemished lamb before God to receive his mercy and forgiveness for that. So the law drove them, the Ten Commandments drove them to the point where they needed a lamb, they needed a savior. Now, let's be clear. Never, Old Testament, New Testament, does the word of God ever present the Ten Commandments as a means for, God, for someone to earn God's salvific mercy. Never. Nowhere in the Bible. So the law could not give life. In fact, the law actually does the opposite. It condemns. It shows that we cannot have life in ourselves, and it actually brings about the wages that we deserve. Listen to Galatians 3.21, very much a comparable passage to this Romans 3 passage. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be, Paul says. He loves that little phrase. For if a law had been given, listen to this, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. So if God's intention was to give you righteousness, justification to stand before him, he would have gave you a law that if you kept it, you could be righteous before him. But that's not what he did. This could not impart life. It was there to show, as our first point is here, that we're sinners and we're in need of him. Now, because the law is perfect, right? The law is perfect. When you study it, it's perfect. It's God's word. It's God's uh, standard. That commandment serves the same today, though. And there are those who still believe the commandments are part of their justification process. So they'll, they'll say, well, I believe in Jesus and I do this. It's Christ plus something. But see, Romans 3, Galatians 3, both of these verses, both of that context all laying down through proves that that can't happen. And then think about this. 
that's one pendulum. Law keeping, maybe even mixing Jesus and his death and all those things. And then you swing the pendulum the other way and you move to what we call antinomianism. Antinomianism says, oh, there's no law. We're just a lawless people now because, because, oh, Jesus, Jesus, there's no law. And so now the law has no value to Christians or those who claim to be Christians. They don't have any part of our teaching and preaching. And, and actually, the Bible's actually in the middle. We'll get into that more as we go here. And it's important to realize that God's word, we believe this. God's word is sufficient. Um, and the New Testament does validate the Ten Commandments, the law, where it has certain effects still in our life. The law is good if used properly, the Bible teaches us. Now think about how the law first uses in salvation. One of my favorite texts is uh, Romans 7. There, um, Paul is, I think he's doing a beautiful thing where he's jumping in and out of pre-salvation and salvation. And, and, and so in chapter 7, verse 7, he says, what shall I say is the law sin? May it never be. Now he's using that same language again. On the contrary, now listen to what he says. This is how God uses the law. I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Well, how does that, what what do you mean, Paul? For I would not have known about coveting if the law had said you shall not covet. So take Apostle Paul. Remember in uh, Philippians chapter 3, he says, he's kind of the poster boy of the Hebrews, right? Zealous like a Pharisee, keeping the law perfect, he says, right? He's looking through all those things. Yep, I've never never committed adultery. I don't steal. I don't commit murder. I don't do any of those things. Oh, coveting. The law showed him he was a sinner. And it brought him to repentance, brought him a need to, to have a lamb that would be sacrificial for him. And not just any lamb, the final lamb. Later in Romans chapter 13, he does apply the law, the Ten Commandments, to the Christian life. But he, we, he applies it in love. So he says in, in Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10, he says, Oh, nothing to anybody except to love one another. So, so now he's taking a standard of what the Christian, the Christian life should be based on. All our good work should be based on the things that God has prepared for us in advance, how we respond to Christ, and how we respond to one another. Love Christ, love his word, love, love his people, right? You've heard me say that a million times. So he says, Oh, nothing to nobody, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So as we love one another, we fulfill the law of Christ. So he says this, for this you shall not commit adultery. Now if you love one another, as the Bible says, right? The greatest commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, heart, your soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. When you do that, you'll keep the law because you're not going to commit adultery. You love one another, would you take somebody else's wife in this room? Heavens no. Because you love Christ and that causes you to love one another. So now you can see where the commandments are built into this. You shall not murder how could you call yourself a Christian taking somebody else's life, right? You wouldn't do that to one of the brethren in here. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandments, it's summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For love does no wrong to the neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. So the law still has a purpose. Even after salvation, it reminds us that there's, there's a love now that I would never want to break this commandment of God of taking somebody else's wife. Or, or, or the harder one, coveting your car <laughs> or something else that you may have so the law still comes in the play to help mature us and helps us realize you know that's unloving it's a lot of what happens with church discipline in some ways and marriages and things it's not loving your neighbor and and often that's where church discipline falls so but remember there's no person 
and here's the point, no person comes to Christ through, sal- through salvation without understanding the depths of sin. So the law helps us do that. And, and that person will say, well, well why, why am I a sinner? And, and what's the standard? What is it? And why should I come to Christ and not just keep trying to be that good and decent person? Well, that's why we teach the law, though. We teach truth. That's why we teach the Bible and, and we teach that sin is an offense against God. And so when we look at the Ten Commandments, and we'll look at those a little more this next time we're together, is, is that they are a mirror to our soul. We'll look at them. Do you have any other gods before me, Scott? Ooh. Still something deeply to think about. What are those times where something wants to sit on the throne of my heart other than my Savior? So the law still has a purpose as we challenge ourselves. And when we allow God's word, the standard, to expose sin, we preach on the doctrine of sin. And I think this is one of the biggest failures of the modern day church is they won't preach on harmatology. Harmartiology is the doctrine of sin. They don't preach on it. So all people can do is go, well, I'm a pretty good person, but I do need this Jesus, so I'll add Jesus to these good things that I'm doing. When we preach on sin, you find yourself damned. You can't help it when you come up against the law of God and our deeds. And so the law helps us see our hopelessness, our deadness, our sinfulness. I couldn't help but think of that as Patty related the stories of those young people. Second, there's the purpose of the law is to make sin an act of an inexcusable transgression against God. I think there's a tendency sometimes to go, oh, I sinned. I shouldn't have done that. When we study the law, you begin to realize that it is this heinous crime against God. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 says, why the law then? He says this, Paul says, it was added because of the transgression. Sin is a high crime against a holy God. So we have to understand that. And the law helps us get there. So Paul says in Romans 4 verse 15, for the law brings about wrath. Well, whose wrath? God's wrath. But where there is no law, there is no violation. Paul goes on to say back in that Romans 7, 13, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. The King James said it this way, exceedingly sinful. And so here when we get underneath and we understand the law as an as, as a unsaved person, we have to get to the point where I'm just not a bad person I have sinned against a holy God and I need his holy son to be the lamb of God for me. That's what what the law is intending to do to bring us to the high sin against God. Now, until the law came, the Bible says that people were able to excuse their sin in some fashion, right? Paul told Timothy, remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and violent aggressor. And then he says this, remember this? Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. So what does that mean? Is he not guilty for everything he did? Man, he put Christians in, in prison, probably had his hand in their death, um, all kinds of things that really harmed the early church. But he says here, yet I was shown mercy and acted ignorantly. Later, he said on Mars Hill in that second missionary journey in Acts chapter 17, he says, the time has come where God has declared himself that every man should repent and he has fixed a day 
um, and the time of ignorance, he's overlooked and it's over. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, let's understand that every person ever born from Adam, Adam and Eve created by God and every person born of them, God wrote his law on their hearts. You know, well, how do you know that? Well, it isn't hard to go study Cain, right? There's no law, there's no Mo, Mo, book of Moses yet, and, and yet the law, when it gets written, it really pointed to the wickedness of man, but it was still there, right? So Jesus, probably the pre-incarnate Christ, comes up to, to uh, Cain, who's bad-mouthing God in a way. God says, Where, you know, where's your brother? Um, oh, I don't know. Am I, his, am I my brother's keeper? And then the Lord begins to press and say, why are you so angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you keep the law that's on your heart and sense, you know what's right, you know what's wrong, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, then he says this word, sin is crouching out your door. So when Paul says, I acted innocent in unbelief, he is not saying he's not deserving of the wages of sin. He said he did not understand the law and the weight of it fully, but he was still deserving of death. And Paul makes that very clear throughout the Gospels. Jude talks about three men, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. All three of those men knew who God was. And yet all three of them acted terribly. And so when God gave the written law, sin exposed the willful transgression against God and the heinousness against it. So law, the law now just heightens the understanding. It's already in your heart. Let, let me, your children who can't read yet, right? We all know this. Moms, we all know this. Um, dads, we all know this. They, you know, I, let me give you a little story. I had a knife I wasn't supposed to have when I was a little kid. I'll never forget this. Um, uh, I, I went, couldn't read yet. I mean, I was little. My parents had put in some cabinets into our house, and there was this giant box. So my mom's, I said, Mom, can I have a knife? She goes, you're not having a knife. You're four, you know. <laughs> and uh, so what did I do? I went and got a knife. And I'm slicing on this box, making a window, and they're at four with a knife I stole out of the kitchen, cut my finger severely. I mean, almost off. I still have a bad scar on this finger um, from where I almost cut it off. Guess who walks out into the yard? Mom, what are you doing? As I slim my hand around my um, back, the blood slinged across the boxes. I could not read that it was wrong to lie to your parents, not obey them, right? One of the commands. But I knew it was wrong. I had stolen a knife and I'd lied. And so it was written on my heart, but as God comes uh, and brings the law, now there's no excuse, man. It's written before. They're not in the heart, but it's there for them to know, and it needs to be preached. Let me give you another example. Um, if we go out here tonight, you're going to go out here, and most of you are going to go out that exit, and there's a stop sign there. Now, I want you to think about this. If that stop sign was not there, it blew down, or it wasn't, we didn't get it put up, or whatever it was, and you didn't stop there, it would still be wrong, wouldn't it? Now, you could argue that there was no stop sign there, but it'd be wrong because you just pulled out in traffic and somebody got killed, you or somebody else. And so, though you know that I should stop there, especially with that traffic, especially if you're going, if you're going west and you're going to go across those four lanes to get up there, you should stop and make sure it's there. But then there is, here's what the law is. The law was enacted. That sign was put in there. There's a requirement to stop. And if you fail not to stop, there's punishment. There could be temporal, get a ticket, or it could be fatal. And so the law was this, now it's there, you know. Before you knew you should stop and look both ways before you cross, but there's no stop sign there, so I'm going to blindly go through it, and you're just as wrong. 
But now there's a stop sign there. It tells you, hey, there's a penalty if you do not stop here. It could be as minor as a ticket or it could be as severe as death. And so the law is that way. And so the law of God makes sin a spiritual transgression against God, makes it noble to us so that we will see the offense against God. Lastly, the, the third here, the purpose of the law is to bring man to Christ. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Um, and I'll just briefly hit this and we'll be done. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. The purpose of the law is to bring man to Christ. Galatians 3.24 says, As therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. That's such incredible language there. You've got law and tutor and leading to Christ and justification by faith alone. I mean, so what a beautiful statement here all wrapped up. And, and so as I think about the analogy here to keep that going, the law was God's appointed officer in a way to make you aware of the holiness of God. Don't ever look at the Ten Commandments as we get into this. I, I want you to look at the Ten Commandments and I want you to see God. We have to see him. Otherwise, we're just a list of things not to do and don't do this and don't do that. When you see the law, God intends us to see the glory of him, his perfect standard. And so now the law becomes like the officer who, when you run the stop sign out there, he's there to take care of that because you're not aware of the, of, of the law, right? Or you chose to neglect it here. So, so the law comes around and says, no, God's holy, and, and I'm here to charge you with the crime of breaking God's holy law. And then it does that until we're handed over to Christ, who is God's appointed Savior, who alone can fulfill the law on our behalf. So think through this. This is an emphatic statement throughout the New Testament that Christ alone fulfills the law when he came, and therefore the law ceases now to condemn us because it condemned Christ. You get that? The law condemned Christ on our behalf. And so now we don't go to the law to try to keep ourselves right and justified before the Lord. We come to Christ. And so Christ fulfilled the law. And now Scott's relationship to God is solely based on his relationship in Christ and through Christ. So breaking the law of God means certain death without him, the wages of his death, but Christ paid that penalty of breaking the law. Therefore, the, ju- the father, the judge, judged him like he committed the law, uh, like he broke the law on my behalf. And that saddens me, that the Lord had to die because I broke the law. But that's the truth of it. And he who, is, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we may gain his righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So the believer died when Christ died, therefore he or she is declared to be dead to the law, right? The law is not my uh, tutor any longer. I'm removed from its control. And the law is no longer my judge. And so the law is not a master to me anymore. The law is still good when I rightfully handle it. So here's how I read, if you just turn over a page to Second Corinthians, uh, 2 Galatians uh, chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 2 of Galatians 20. Um, I love this verse because it, it really helps me put all this into right standing. Scott's a professing believer now. Um, he's received righteousness not through fulfilling the law, 
but from dying with Christ, right? So Galatians 2.20 says, Scott has been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer Scott who lives, but it's Christ living in Scott. And the life which Scott now lives in the flesh, Scott lives by faith in the Son of God, not in the law there, but in faith in the Son of God, who loved Scott and gave himself up for Scott. Scott does not nullify the grace of law, grace of God for if righteousness comes from the law then Christ died needlessly and so when we, when we listen even that little legalism that sneaks into our lives and into our churches and into the, those times when we let that become our standard in some way in a in a small way you might be saying oh Jesus thank you for dying my sins but I really didn't need it in this area because I got this covered in fact, I know, I know it so well I can tell other people how to do it. So legalism is so dangerous because it says, oh, Jesus, really, I don't need you in this area. It says Christ died needlessly. And so when Christ came, he made full atonement through a substitutionary death. So the new covenant believer, the new covenant of God, becomes enacted through Christ's finished work. We're under that now. And the law is useful to us. The law helps us. It helps us live this life in a good way. But listen, this has been God's all the plan. We talk about new covenant, which it is a new covenant. He he completed the first and brought in the second, right? But it's always been foretold. Jesus, when he walked on the the road to Emmaus, he, he told them of all the wonderful things. He said, look, the law of Moses and the prophets must be fulfilled. All of them that have that. And, and you'll notice Sunday when we were talking about the sermons that Paul was preaching on his missionary journeys were all coming out of the Old Testament. Psalms 22, Psalms 51, Isaiah 53, and so forth. They were preaching Christ out of that. When Remember when Christ is getting his disciples in, and Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, hey, 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 we think we found the one that the law and the prophets describe, the Messiah. That's how he communicated to Nathaniel. We think we found the one that all of the law and all of the prophets were talking about. So he is this one that's been promised, this new covenant that we live underneath has been promised from the garden all the way down and And so Paul tells us that you cannot be justified from the law. And apart from the law, there is no justification. So that's why we preach Christ in the Old Testament, why I enjoy preaching through the Pentateuch and pointing to Jesus Christ, because Christ is the end of the law. A verse just to remind you of, I don't know, I was born and raised in the CB world, you know, like, you know, 10-4. Romans 10-4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Not the end of the law for its purpose to remind us of the standard of God and for good, healthy living within the church and within the world. Look, the world still knows the law is right. Don't kill somebody. There's laws against that, right? If you steal, there's a guy going to come and put cuffs on you in most places um, and take you away. But the, it is the, the, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, It's not the end of the law, but it's the end of the law for righteousness, for salvation. So what Christ-centered believers need to point out time and time again is the law ceased to be in effect only when a person has come in union with Christ. The law still stands for those who don't know Jesus. In fact, they're going to be judged by it. They'll go up against the perfect standard of God and they will fall short of it. We don't fall short of it because of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So as we get into the Ten Commandments, we'll see that it's not wrong to preach the Ten Commandments today. We need to use them. Paul told Timothy, he says, but, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And so we teach children to obey their parents, for this is right in the Lord. Care for life. Don't take it young in the womb or out of the womb. And we still teach these things, don't we? We took a whole Sunday just on the sanctity of life here recently. So these things are good if we use it right. Now, if you say all this stuff, and if you do all that, you get to go to heaven. You use it unlawfully. And so many groups around the world still continue to use them unlawfully. So, closing. The law is good when used lawfully. It's good not to have other gods before the Lord. It's good to not use his name in vain. It's good not to steal. It's good not to commit adultery. It's good not to covet your neighbor's belongings. It's good because you understand these commands in their proper place through the finished work of Christ. So as I get into the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we want to remember that, okay? Um, And remember the setting that he's teaching them. All right, Father, thank you. We've gone long enough tonight. We had a blessed time having Patty here with us and singing together and then getting a short Bible study to remind us that the law was our tutor. It was there to bring us to Christ. And Lord, we're so grateful because I think every believer in this room knows they came up against the standard of God and saw themselves wanting, saw themselves falling short of the glory of God. And so we look at that and we go, well, we didn't keep that. From the beginning, we've always had other gods on our hearts than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find ourselves condemned. We thank you that it was a tutor to lead us to the final lamb, the one, the, the, the finished lamb, the lamb that blood satisfied our father forever. And we thank you that the law taught us that. And now we realize that the law is a good help to us, Lord. And so we praise you for this, Lord. May you be blessed by what we've done here today. In Jesus' name, amen.